This is SG2 Perspectives, a conversation with SG2 experts and industry thought leaders about the biggest trends in healthcare and what we expect that's going to mean for the future of healthcare delivery. We're always looking for new ideas and topics from our listeners, so please reach out, share your ideas. You can email us at sg2perspectives at sg2.com or connect with us on LinkedIn or Twitter, and you can find links to all that in the show notes. Now, on to this week's episode. One word comes to mind, Grubhub. If there's anything that occurred during the pandemic is that people realize that I want what I want when I want it. And access is going to be key, including in my healthcare. Welcome to SG2 Perspectives. I'm your host, Trevor Durin. This week, we have two friends of the show back to continue a multi-part conversation about the rapidly evolving preferences of healthcare consumers. Mark Larson and Dr. Tom Villadueva have done consumerism surveys progressively for the last year. You've heard them share some of their insights along the way on other podcasts. You've probably seen some of it in reports as well. I want to have a focused conversation today to look back, think about what we learned, but start to think about what strategy leaders should do with this new information. So, Mark, why don't you kick us off? Give us a quick history lesson what have been some of the kind of progressive findings and milestones from the past year? I'm most interested to hear, do you think it was the COVID-driven pattern or this is maybe a new consumer trend that we think is going to continue? Trevor, you always ask tough questions, but uh, I, I struggled with this one a little bit, but there are so many takeaways. But what I tried to do is really boil it down to four that I thought really stood out that SG2 thinks are sustainable. And I think the main takeaway is number one is consumers really do like virtual. Now, can we deliver virtual right now? I think there's been some good examples of where we have and COVID's allowed us to move forward. But I would ask strategists out there, how are we going to set up our primary care practices and our clinics that can do both? And that's not an easy ask. That's where a lot of our clients are struggling with right now. Number two, in the ED, only 33% in our survey of consumers felt safe. This was in January. We had that big outbreak in many communities across the country. And that was even down from 54% in July. Where are volumes going to go? And I think a lot of clients are asking that. We really think the volumes will recover as the economy recovers, but not fully. A lot of that loss is going to be those lower acuity volumes. So I think the question for strategists there is how do we build for a higher acuity mix in our emergency departments? That's going to be tough. And with the aging population, we know it's only going to grow. Third takeaway, nursing home consumer reticence is a real thing and something that will continue in the future, at least the near future, as folks remember you know, some of the problems that we had with nursing homes in COVID. The question really is around how is this going to impact the hospital? And could it actually increase length of stay if it takes a little bit longer to discharge patients to home versus a skilled nursing facility? And how are we going to really build around that in our hospitals without dramatically increasing length of stay? And then the fourth thing was, and I think this is important, and Tom, physician and providers are at the center of trust. Whether it's getting a COVID test with 84% top of the mark of consumers felt that they would rather have that in their physician office, 90% would like to have their vaccine in the physician's office. And 30% in the survey said their trust in providers increased during COVID. So I think the question for strategists there is, how do we build care around the patient-provider relationship? We know not all patients need or have that relationship, but many do. 
And how do we build our system of care around that relationship of trust? You know, Mark, I couldn't agree with you more. Even with virtual care, if I'm in clinic and then I have to pause for a face-to-face visit for a timed virtual visit, that's extremely difficult to do. And there's so many disruptors that occur during the day during a face-to-face visit versus an expectation that there is a quick stop or start, if you will, to a virtual visit and a certain stop that has to occur. So what is that hybrid? Do I have clinic virtually one day or one afternoon or a half day versus doing face-to-face? But doing both at the same time is extremely difficult at this moment. In addition to what you mentioned about engaging patients who are already established in this virtual market is going to be very important. We've known that from our own data that lots of times it's more about those patients that are already established that are looking for virtual care. And then looking to what resources we can do. If we're looking at chronic disease management, then what resources do we have to even check patients' blood pressure at home if you're looking for your HEDIS score, since we can't use what the patient is documenting at this moment. And then lastly, I'd like to mention is in reference to provider productivity and compensation it's still very much in favor of that face-to-face visit. So how are we going to work that around where it makes sense and you're engaging further your providers to even want to do this virtual work? Tom, thanks for building on those trends. Several of those things you talked about are physicians have to adapt their practice model and build some changes and they need support to do that. At the same time, we had been talking about, and it's a theme, I'm not even going to say on the back burner, but we knew it was going to be a problem coming into the spring, and that's burnout across the workforce. How do you balance those things? We're asking physicians to do more. We're hearing from consumers what they want, but it's going to force physicians to be the kind of change agents there. How do you balance those two things? The biggest area of burnout is not only what we saw from the pandemic, the psychosocial, even the post-traumatic issues that occurred. But a lot of it is the clerical burden that we put on providers right now. And if you ask me to this day, what is my biggest issue is the time I spent with the EMR, with some studies even showing that the significant pajama time that many of our providers are having at this moment, that's actually gotten worse. Every time there's an upgrade and I'm putting my hands up in quote, it just means to me more clicks. I thought you were going to say having to do podcasts, so I'm thrilled right now. (laughs) (laughs) You bring up a very good point. We need to decrease that burden. How do we do that? It's introducing the team approach to care. It's not that every patient needs to see a doctor every time. It's the right care at the right time by the right individual. It's really escalating how you're using your APPs. But not only your APPs, are you using your clinical pharmacists? Are you using dietitians? as well. Sometimes it could even be just nurses. It's bringing that whole team together. The use of coaches can be a a great way of not having to use someone at a salary based of, say, a clinician, but still someone who's just engaging, particularly among ethnic and even racial minorities. This is a great opportunity. It seems like experience over the last year might have helped clinical teams realize that value proposition even more and hopefully strategy teams as well. Do you agree with that? I couldn't agree more. One of our common sayings here at at Vizian and even SG2 is that what this pandemic brought out was just those very well-known secrets within the industry, but the general public didn't know about, just completely came up and they're very much aware of. Mark, were you trying to jump in too? Yeah, I was. Tom, I'm going to put you on the spot here. We know expanding that care team, there's so much value in it. I've been getting more questions about how do I integrate APPs with my practice? So, But I guess the question is, Do the strategy team 
and the operations in the medical group lead the charge? Or is this something that the physician needs to really take on there? I think the starting point is confusing to folks in the strategy area. That's a fair question. And if I take a, just a step back to think about it, the answer is both. It's just that the comp model right now, and you'll forgive me that I'm actually going that route, but right now the comp is what's leading the behavior. And if I don't fully understand as a provider what the strategy of the organization is, and then you help me get to there and be successful, but not only providing me the resources to get there, but then helping me be successful on my comp model, then I'm on board. But if you think about what we've been seeing prior to the pandemic, particularly about organizations that have been trying to be successful with value-based payments, what I heard many times is, look, Tom, I'd love to practice in this form where I'm looking at the bigger picture, but at the same time, I'm not being compensated that way. And why should I take on that risk when you're not setting me up for success? If I was a strategy leader in a health system right now, it would be really tough to act on any of these new consumer patterns or consumer insights, because it's easy to make the case that patients and everybody was under just a different kind of stress in 2020. And can we really take their behavior from last year and say, this is going to be how patients are going to behave going forward? Mark, what's your guidance to strategy teams to try and take some of these learnings and apply it as they're really focused right now on how am I going to capture growth in 2021? I'll just kind of circle back with some of the areas that we focused on before. From a virtual perspective, if it is what consumers want when they want it, and I think there's some things that we need to consider from a strategy team perspective, we've seen the virtual numbers recede in many markets after the pandemic and after the initial surge, but the opportunity for planners is really the next step. Going back to what Tom said about you know reimbursement and business models is, what are we trying to solve for? And how does virtual fit into that? If we're trying to expand access or grow in a new market, virtual may be a great option. Tom, any thoughts on that? One word comes to mind, Grubhub. If there's anything that occurred during the pandemic is that people realize that I want what I want when I want it. And access is going to be key, including in my healthcare. One thing that I've heard even from my own patients, look, doc, I don't want to go into your big parking lot that I have to pay for. I don't want to have to go through your halls and wait through your big lobby and have to wait for sometimes hours when I'm not really sure when you're going to see me. My appointment was at 9.15, but I know you're not going to be seeing me at 9.15. Grubhub. I know when I want, when I want it. And patients are going to expect that from their healthcare moving forward. That's awesome. The second thing I think we should really be thinking around is rethinking the emergency department. Volumes have dropped. We don't think they're going to continue to be where they were prior to COVID. But three things to consider around the ED. Are there opportunities to expand the walls of the ED? Are there some ED-led services where we can provide care in the patient's home versus having to bring everyone into the emergency department and sometimes inappropriately? We've learned from studies that that actually has been favorable for consumers overall, that they don't want to sit in an emergency department for five hours. So there's opportunities there. We've been getting a lot of requests around geriatric-specific EDs or trained staff. So we know the demographics are going to serve many institutions that way. And it doesn't always mean having to develop a structure of brick and mortar around that. It can be training. And then the last piece is just designs that help consumers feel safe and reduce risk of future infections. And Tom talked about that in the clinic environment, but that's certainly an opportunity 
in the ED as well. We have to be able to reestablish that trust and there's things that we can do around that. Those are a couple of uh, key takeaways, Trevor, and there's certainly many others that we can consider as we move forward. I do want to add to the importance of that, the issue of trust. And we know that from Stevie Coven's book, that's consistency, character, and competency. And part of that is that you need to be consistent with the experience moving forward. That's something our patients are going to demand going forward. Many of the waiting times that we spoke about, having to wait for a long time in the emergency room, that's not what they're going to want. In fact, in reference to character, it's even among the payers, they're encouraging our patients not to go to the emergency room. It's not uncommon that when I tell somebody virtually they need to go to the emergency room, they're pushing back. They're trying to find alternative forms to care where it's come to the point where I'm literally begging them sometimes to go to the emergency room. That's a good example. Thanks, Tom. All right, maybe this is wishful thinking, but two years ago, Mark, we started working with teams around kind of this competency of integrating consumer insights in their planning work. And I think last year, teams had to do it faster than ever, but I think they also saw results from it where they were able to understand consumer needs, especially around safety and concerns and adapt to them really quickly. Do you think the last year kind of accelerated our members' ability to integrate consumer insights in their strategy and planning work? Yeah, last year, there probably wasn't this big focus on consumerism. In fact, a lot of the questions kind of slowed down, which was interesting. Obviously, folks were in crisis mode. They went, they needed to act fast and they needed to, to really make sure they're addressing the needs of their community. As 2021 has progressed, we're beginning to hear, again, more folks really interested and almost an acceleration of interest in consumerism. The combination between those two concepts is that the crisis centers, that most of you out there did a fantastic job of acting and changing your care models overnight. Incredible stories that we get to hear all the time at Visi and at SG2. Those helped the communication around the patient's needs. They brought a focus to what was really important to the community. The question is, can we get those same teams together to talk about consumer needs? Because these are just as relevant It's just not a crisis situation, but it could be on that individual consumer's basis. And then thinking about how do we then redesign care, getting the providers involved, we know that won't happen without their support and their leadership, more importantly. And last, just making sure that those consumer needs, they do help spur conversation. I've had some opportunities to work in the field with groups of physicians, and we talk about the consumer data, and they're like nodding their heads, and they come up with all kinds of new carry design opportunities. So they're excited about this. We have to be able to provide the support, but also the commitment. But can't we take some of those same learnings from these crises and be able to change care? It goes back to making sure we have a very clearly defined business model. What are we trying to accomplish when we do that? And Tom, any thoughts on that? Just couldn't agree more. Engage your clinicians. Engage your clinicians. You'd be stunned. In fact, they're the ones actually working with your patients at this moment. So their insights are significantly higher. And what opportunities occur with them as well. So do please engage your physicians. They want to hear from you. All right, guys, no more softballs. This is where the tough questions start. Give me a couple predictions for 2021. Are there going to be some new consumer patterns that emerge? Is the summer just going to be everyone wants to party and barbecue and no one takes care of themselves and people aren't focused on healthcare? Or is everyone going to be focused on, I got to get back in? And the best thing that health systems and providers can do is simply be available. Give me a couple consumer patterns you're expecting in the short term. 
I actually think that we're going to be seeing more of the long-term effects of the virus itself. The term COVID long haulers, but truth is that theoretically speaking, there are some real biological issues occurring from the virus and they're long-term and not only affecting people that we know were infected, but considering that 40% of patients were actually asymptomatic, their symptoms occurring in them as well. And then there's the stuff that we don't know at this moment. So I see opportunity there and, and at least being cognizant. In addition to that, I see that with chronic disease management. In my own practice, I'm seeing people coming in with later stage early cancers and coming in with uh, exacerbations of their chronic disease. So diabetes that hasn't been controlled, which resulted in worsening of their hypertension. I'm seeing younger people coming in with cardiovascular disease because of obesity. On average, the studies show that there was a 1.5 weight gain per month during the pandemic occurring in our country. So obesity is a major issue that we're going to be seeing now. Opportunities in those as well and how to address those and how to improve the health of your communities. The other thing that we have to mention, part of the dirty little secret we spoke about, is actually addressing social determinants of health or health inequalities as well. I see that there's going to be a huge work needed in this to address your community as a whole. Mark? Yeah, those are great, Tom. And I, I can't speak as a clinician on this one, but I, I will say that we did all witness a pretty significant drop for surgical procedures and diagnostics over the last year, certainly in April, that we never completely recaptured. And a couple of things that I think will help support bringing some of those volumes back this summer and beyond is, first of all, some of the stimulus dollars that have come along, as well as just the fact that with folks staying at home, they've actually been saving a lot of money. So the opportunity to pay those out-of-pockets, the dollars for a significant portion of the population should be there. So we should see some of those volumes uh, recover over the rest of the year. Those are both great ones. I think that's fair predictions. All right, you're off the hook. So thanks both for joining. Thanks for your continued work to better understand the consumers who our members are trying so hard to meet their needs and get them back in the door and keep them healthy. Thanks, Trevor. Thank you. This has been another episode of SG2 Perspectives. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe and don't forget to rate and review. We'd love to hear from you. Please connect with us on LinkedIn or Twitter at SG2 Healthcare. You can also reach us via email at sg2perspectives at sg2.com. Reach out and let us know what healthcare trends are most important to you. Please also listen and subscribe to our colleague, Dr. Tom Villanueva's Modern Practice Podcast on Vizian's Medical Leadership Channel. Tom discusses key healthcare trends through the clinical leadership lens. You can find it wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening. <laughs>